This is Iron Sports 95.9, 106.9. We're honored to have Jared Diamond, the national baseball writer for the Wall Street Journal author. We had him before, the author of Swing Kings, um, a great book about baseball. So thanks again, Jared, for coming back on Iron Sports. Yeah, I'm glad to be back. So I was talking to you a little off the air about how you're, you actually flew back to New York for the, your day off, and you thought yesterday, maybe in the first inning, that you wouldn't, you would, you're following the World Series, that you would just be able to, you know, just that's your last flight. But I guess you, you thought maybe that wasn't going to happen. Yeah, it's funny. Uh, first of all, I think every person in the ballpark thought after that Adam Duvall Grand Slam that they were going to be celebrating for the rest of the night. Uh, was not meant to be. And I, I remember thinking around the second inning after the Astros, Got a couple of guys on base, and Bregman, Alex Bregman hits that double that drives in, I think, the first Houston run. I, I remember sending a note to my boss. I said, this is going to end 10-5 to 5 Houston. And he said, what are you talking about? I said, you can't keep these guys down forever. Eventually, this lineup's going to hit. And it was not 10-5 to 5 Houston. It was 9-5 to 5 Houston. <laughs> so forgive me for being off by a run, but I think I was close enough. Well, I mean, I think um, Schnitzer, the manager of the Braves, is getting a, a little criticism. Maybe I won't say a lot, but considering how NFL coaches are getting criticized today. But he's getting some criticism, the fact that you're up 3-1. He felt that he played it safe, keeping Davidson in a little bit longer uh, when he was having trouble and not going. I mean, a lot, the pitcher lining that's been working out you know, great has been the Minter, Jackson, Matesick, Smith. That those those four pitchers that came in and not to maybe start that earlier um, and try to make them pitch longer. Is there a thought why they didn't? You know why why the Braves you know waited you know with Davidson in the game a little too long? They had pushed their relievers so far in games three and four. I mean it's really remarkable that Atlanta's in this position, given that it basically has two starting pitchers <laughs> and has been trying to navigate the rest of this exclusively with their bullpen. And, you know, it, it's worked. They got through games three and four, uh, really relying heavily on their bullpen. And it sort of ran out in game five. But like, I think you do have to acknowledge, if you're Atlanta, that you are up three to one. And, yes, you want to end it right there. You don't want to go back to Houston. Of course, every single game you lose brings you a little bit closer to a game seven and ultimately losing. But you still have to manage recognizing that you have to win one out of three, and that you are going to manage differently and you have to win one out of three as opposed to one out of one. So I think that's why he took the approach. He knows that he's going to have fully rested Max Freed in game six. If necessary, fully rested Ian Anderson in game seven. So even though Atlanta lost yesterday and Houston is feeling very good about itself this morning, I don't think there's any question that Atlanta still sits in the driver's seat just knowing what's sort of coming for them. You know, if you're a baseball fan, and I, I harken back to Mike Francesca when they were talking about Roger Clemens at the end, and he made he made the comment. He goes, "Roger Clemens is a six inning pitcher." Well, if if you have a six inning pitcher now, that's like your total number one ace. Um, I mean, considering that not there's no starter. There's been you know, five games, two stars in each team. Nobody's gone past five innings, and the average length of a start is like three, three or you know about three innings. Um, what it's it's just come on. I mean, a couple of years ago, there was this, you know, the bullpen type games. But it seems like almost every game now is a bullpen type game. Yeah, look, part of this, a big part of this, is the simple fact that the game has changed. There's no question about it. Like you said, it was just, what, three, four years ago where what Tampa Bay was doing with its bullpen was 
extremely radical and it's now taken over the game in terms of relying on these bullpen games and, and whatnot. So look, certainly the game has changed, especially in the postseason where you have all these off days and you're really able to push your bullpen to the limit. That said, the one thing that I would sort of caution, I think is at least worth considering, is we have to remember that this season has been a strange one because every pitcher is coming off the pandemic-shortened 2020 season where they where all of them threw 50, 60 innings at most. I think the, the innings leader last year was at 80, uh, which was Lance Lynn of Chicago. So you're in a situation where these pitchers have really barely pitched last year, and not only did they have to pitch a full load in 2021, they're also now pitching this extra month in the postseason. So while I think that what we're seeing now is certainly indicative of what we're going to see in the future, there's part of me that at least wants to believe that it's been exacerbated this season just because every pitcher is so gassed. I mean, there's, it's not typical in the World Series when both teams have basically two starting pitchers that they're able to use. I know Charlie Morton got injured for, for Houston, uh, for Atlanta, rather. For Houston, it was Lance McCullers. But the fact is, that is not typical. So I don't think that we're going to see this to quite this extent in the future. But certainly, unless the rules change, this is the game right now. Yeah, I mean, you think about two years ago when you had Scherzer, Corbin, and Strasburg for the Nationals, and they used, uh, and they really, they didn't trust their bullpen, so they were pitching, you know, they were using their starters to relieve in, uh, in terms of games. But it's, uh, uh, that I, I compare the Braves a lot to the Nationals because in the middle of the year, they're a 500 team, and they really turn it on, and, and they're just, they're following the same blueprint of just getting hot at the end and then riding it through the playoffs. Yeah, look, that's, that's, that's baseball. People get mad about this <laughs> all the time. And they want to, they, people want to believe, I think, that, base, that baseball is fair, that the World Series or the, the, the champion, the postseason, is a competition that determines who the best team in baseball is. Uh, it's not. It, it's just simply not. Uh, we know who the best team or teams in baseball were. They proved it over six months. It was San Francisco. It was Los Angeles. It was Tampa Bay. Those were the best teams in baseball this year. They just sort of indisputably were. The postseason is not designed to get, to sort of honor the best team. It's designed to put on a good show, to be entertaining, to be fun and exciting, which it is. So I think as a fan, you have to sort of change your mindset. Like, there's no question that the Astros – were a better team than the Braves this season. They proved it over six months. The Braves weren't even over 500 until the first week of August. But they made some really shrewd moves at the trade deadline. A lot of credit goes to GM Alex Anthopoulos for making the moves he did and even considering making moves when many of his peers would have just punted on the season after Ronald Acuna Jr. got hurt and the team is languishing in third place in the division. Uh, and they've gotten really, really hot. The Astros' bats have been really, really cold. And as a result, uh, the team with the worst record heading into the postseason is the favorite now to win the whole thing. Uh, and ultimately, that's the team that gets remembered. And I'm not saying we shouldn't. Winning the World Series should be the ultimate honor. It is. But I do think that sometimes I, I think I feel as if we should be a little bit more appreciative 
of the teams that win the regular season, the teams that survive the six-month gauntlet uh, and have 100, 102, 103, in this, this case, 107 wins. It's a remarkable accomplishment. I think in general, sports, all sports, at least in the United States, have moved so far into this idea that anything short of a championship means the season is a complete failure. And a lot of fans feel that way. I just think that's a completely ridiculous way of watching sports. Yeah, whatever works for you. I'm not going to judge someone's fandom, but that to me doesn't seem like a very fun way to be a fan where the only thing that matters, the only way a season is worthwhile is if your team wins the World Series or wins the Super Bowl or wins the NBA Finals. Well, I mean, I guess that's I mean, that's why I love college football so much, because I think college football has I don't want to see it expanded. I like the fact there's only four teams in the playoff because you really have to. I mean, that makes every game matter during the season. Um, and, and baseball, of course, used to have just the American National League and just they met in the pet for the you win your pennant and you play in the World Series. But you mentioned about the Astros in terms of last night, in terms of you, you knew they were going to start hitting. And you saw that in the Red Sox series. They were down 2-1 and they were in by the eighth inning. And then from that eighth inning on, they outscored them like 30 to three, uh, the Red Sox. And in that series, it's like, are the Astros the type of team now that had that big runs last night and now we're just going to put up another nine, 10 runs and just run away with this World Series? That's what the Astros are certainly hoping for. <laughs> um, I think that anyone who's watched baseball enough knows that the concept of momentum is sort of a fallacy. It just doesn't really happen. So it's really hard to predict that this is just going to continue. But I will say that Ultimately, given enough games, players play like the back of their baseball cards, right? Like that's just what we know about baseball. Eventually, guys are going to turn it around. The question is seven games enough to sort of turn it around? Well, I don't know. That's what we're going to find out. But I do know that Jose Altuve and Alex Bregman and these guys that have been struggling are incredible hitters, that they are not going to stay down forever. Eventually, they're going to get hot. And perhaps yesterday was the beginning of it, especially for Carlos Correa, who had three hits. I think Jose Altuve might have had two hits, I believe, and a couple. Of, there were some extra base hits in there as well. So, look, it's, it's a good sign if you're an Astros fan, but you have to remember that they're going to see Max Fried uh, in game six, who's Atlanta's best pitcher and, and not exactly an, an, an easy starter to have to deal with. And then along the same lines, um, Andrew Friedman – so I was in L.A. for all the games in L.A. and San Francisco when they played them and the Braves. And, the, of course, the biggest criticism is in the game two against the Braves, you bring Urias in in the eighth inning, who gives up when, on a four, when you have a 4-2 lead, blows the lead, and then Urias is tired and can't pitch game four. Um, and Dave Roberts gets a lot of criticism, of course, for that. And then when Andrew Friedman, the general manager of the Braves, had his press conference this past week or last week, the first question was, Who's making the calls? Is it you? Is it Dave Roberts? And he like laughed at the question. Like he's never like, he goes, you keep asking the same question. But I guess that's a question from, you know, to you is like, who is making these in-game decisions? Is it really the managers or, or, or is it just they're putting this fiction on and really the 50 people that are, you know, under there for the Dodgers are making all the calls with all the computers and analyzing? Look, I, I'm not going to sit here and say that the general managers are somehow sending messages down to the managers and dictating which pitcher comes in and dictating every move that's made in real time. That, that's not happening, and that's probably why Andrew Friedman laughs at those questions or tries to dismiss them. He's going to say, well, how could you say I'm, call I'm calling these moves? I'm not calling them. David's calling them. I'm not talking to him during the game, which, fair, that is 
accurate. You're not talking to him during the game. But there is a script. There is a plan that many people have a hand in uh, before the games start. We, we know this. We know that we could sort of infer that, for instance, the decision to start uh, to use an opener in game five against San Francisco instead of starting Julio Urias, as expected, was not ultimately Dave Roberts' decision. He may have had a voice in the decision-making process, but many other people did as well. So all of these things are scripted out, and there is sort of some suggestions that are given to the managers. And look, there's no question, no matter what Andrew Friedman or anyone wants to say, that the field manager is not acting with sort of autonomy the way he used to, which is the fact. While he may be the one you know, pulling the trigger in the moment, those decisions are being made after hours and hours of conversations and data and research that's provided by the front office. And look, and there's no question, uh, and this varies from team to team the extent, but there's no question that a manager's job security is generally going to be tied to whether he's following the directions of the front office, whether he's executing the plan that's being handed down to him. I'm not saying that a manager is never allowed to deviate. But generally speaking, GMs want to work with managers that they feel like uh, are going to listen to them. And that they have a what they would describe as a collaborative relationship. <laughs> That's the term you, you hear a lot. So, look, Andrew Friedman absolutely has his hand in everything. I'm not going to say like, he was the one that decided to bring Julio Urias into the game in that spot. Like, he wasn't. It was, it was Dave Roberts. But it was after plenty of discussion and conversation before the game that at least you know, made it clear that that was an option for Roberts to consider. Because you haven't heard, I've never heard a, a manager yet. I mean, I guess that's the quickest way to get fired because you don't expect it. But for someone to say, well, you know, tired of asking this question, like, it's not really my call. I didn't make that call. Like they never, they never just are honest and say, that wasn't my call. I didn't want to do that, but I'm told that it had to be that way. Cause otherwise they'd be fired from the job. Right. They'll never say that. And, and like, I don't think it's quite that cut and dry either. I don't, I don't think, at least often, in, in, in a good organization, at least like good organizations like the Dodgers, that the decision-making process works that way, where it's literally like uh, an edict that comes down from on high. I, I don't think it really ever works that way, or at least it, it shouldn't. And I don't think good teams operate that way. But there's certainly uh, a lot of conversation uh, where the front office's opinion is at least uh, duly noted, I guess is what I would say. And uh, well, we're talking to Jared Diamond, the national base writer of the Wall Street Journal, author of Swing Kings. If you haven't read the book, you're looking for a good baseball book to read. It's, it analyzes everything about why we have the home run revolution and everything. We talked to him about the World Series. But just a, a couple of minutes left, it, um, I want to ask you quickly about the Yankees. Uh, we have a lot of fans, of course, down here in West Palm Beach that are huge fans of the Yankees, very critical of what happened. I was at the Red Sox-Yankee game uh, in the in the wildcard game. It just it seems like, you know, the trying to just have Cole as your one starter and just hit home runs, the fans are really frustrated with what happened this whole year. Yeah, it was a tough year for the Yankees. They, they somehow were better than they played in the regular season and also a lot worse. <laughs> they were very complicated. It's sort of hard to really put your finger on who they were. I don't think anyone really has a grasp of what their identity was. And maybe that's the problem is that they were just so prone to these wild swings where they go through stretches where they look like the best team in baseball. And then they go through stretches where they look like 
the absolute worst. Uh, at the end of the day, strangely, somehow, their pitching, it held up uh, overall. Jordan Montgomery had a really good season for the Yankees. Garrett Cole, uh, in spite of his poor performances at the end, really was good for most of the season for the Yankees. I know the expectations for him were extremely high as they should be, given the amount of money he's making. But uh, I do think that the Yankees need to at least consider some sort of reset. Uh, They're just not – they don't seem to have that edge that we've seen them have. And, I, you know, it's such a cliche to always go back and talk about 96, 98, 99, 2000, 2001. But the reason people talk about those teams is those teams were so good. And they weren't just good. They had – they had a quality. They had something about them that made them special that these teams don't have. They just lack that spark. Brian Cashman has been the Yankees GM for seemingly 100 years. Uh, in reality, it's been more than 20. And I think he's really a very good GM and probably hasn't gotten as much credit as he deserves over the years. Uh, but I would totally understand if Hal Steinbrenner were to say, you know, we need a new voice. It's not that... Brian Cashman isn't a great GM. If he were on the open market, a team with an opening would hire him in 10 seconds. It wouldn't even be a question. But I do think at some point you have to look at yourself and go, do we just need a different approach? Do we need a different voice? Do we need to just shake things up for the sake of shaking them up? Uh, that's not how Hal Steinbrenner operates, so I don't know if that's going to happen, at least not right now. But I certainly wouldn't blame him if that's how he felt. And then the one team that still doesn't have a GM uh, is the Mets. They've talked to people. They have good conversations, but it seems like everything is no decisions made. And, and one of the names I was thinking when you look at this Astros team is Jeff Lunau. I mean, everyone else, it seems, from the scandal has been rehired. He's the general manager who built the Astros when, from, from ground up, really. Um, a lot of these players that are playing and you're seeing are ones he discovered and found and, and put in the system. It's amazing that he can't – I mean, there's a, a lot of other reasons why in terms of whatever, but it is surprising that some of these teams that are struggling wouldn't you know, reach out to Lunau and see what the blowback would be to bring him in to be the general manager. It, it is a little strange that A.J. Hinch and Alex Cora were welcomed back without any hesitation after their suspensions ended, while Jeff Lunau seems to still be really on the outs, like total persona non grata in the baseball industry. I think some of that is a little bit of schadenfreude. Uh, people liked Alex Cora and A.J. Hinch. They were really well-respected in the game before this happened. Uh, Jeff Lunau was not. Uh, in fact, I would say he was one of the most hated people in the game, even before anything <laughs> happened with sign stealing, other teams did not like him. They did not like working with him. He had a very bad reputation. He was great as job, clearly, uh, but he was not liked. And I think that's part of it, where there's this attitude of, like, that guy had it coming to him, good riddance, don't have to deal with this guy anymore. Now, all of that said, you're not the only person who's probably thought, hmm, the Mets are a pretty high-profile job. They need somebody. And let's be honest, if there's any owner in baseball that would considering hiring that would consider hiring Jeff Luna, it does seem like Steve Cohen would be that guy. He I don't know Steve Cohen. I never met the man. Only I've only talked to him via Zoom and press conferences. Never never had any real interaction with him. But doesn't he just seem like the kind of guy that would bring Jeff Luna in and say, To hell with what everyone says, this is my guy. I'm not saying he's gonna do it. I don't know how Sandy Alderson would feel about that. Uh, 
But man, that would be awesome. That would be so much fun. What is <laughs> how much drama would that be if they yeah. were to hire Jeff Luna? It would be quite a story. So, and one last question, Jared, is thanks a lot for coming on. I really appreciate it. Is, is do you have do you have a prediction for these final two games? What do you see? How do you see? Is it going to end tomorrow night, or do you think we're going to have a game seven and uh, and it'll be all hands on deck? I don't think the Braves are going to lose a three-one lead again. They they blew a three-one lead last year. You remember, right? In the NLCS to the Dodgers, uh, they're not going to do it again. They're just they're just hot right now. They have everything going for them. They have their two top starters on the mound these next two games. Houston's pitching is really in shambles. Uh, I think the Braves are going to pull it out. I, I you know I really do. I think they're going to find a way and. Honestly, it'd be nice. Let's go with someone different to try. I've seen the Astros in the World Series three times in the last five years. I think we've all, we all kind of know what they're about. I, I like the idea of someone different getting an opportunity, especially a guy like Freddie Freeman, who is really one of the most beloved players in the game. I think it would be really exciting for him to get a ring. Oh, that thing that he put out on uh, on Instagram where he a kid was trick-or-treating and he was holding his son or daughter, the young one, and, and the kid was wearing a Freddie Freeman jersey. And he goes, look, you're wearing my jersey. The kid was shocked. He goes, they got a picture. do you want a picture with the real with Freddie Freeman? And the kid was like in total shock, but he's so nice. I'm sure. But uh, anyway, Jared, I know guy. you're busy. He's really well-liked. <laughs> Have a safe trip down to Houston, and uh, I really appreciate you coming on for Iron Sports tonight. Yeah, thanks so much.